Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today we are joined by A's rookie left-hander Jesus Lizardo, who will talk to us about his rise to the major leagues and about his many different pitches, including his quick pitch and how he came up with it. Then David Feldman and I discuss all things A's as they head down the stretch, including the rest of their schedule and potential pitching plans. All of that next on A's Plus. Today on A's Plus podcast, we are delighted to welcome in Jesus Lizardo, the A's very exciting rookie left-hander. First of all, Jesus, how do you feel like um, things are kind of going for you as you're getting accustomed to the big leagues? Yeah, I think I, uh, the transition's been pretty smooth so far, and um, you know, I'm just glad to have a great group of guys around me and uh, you know, older guys that can help me out and guys that have been in my shoes. Uh, you are now doing sort of a piggyback thing coming in after the starter and uh, I know you've done that some in the minor leagues that's a thing that a lot of organizations are starting to do now a little bit more often but I'm not sure many teams are doing it at the big league level how comfortable have you been doing it is it something you are, like are there pluses to it um, I mean I, I definitely just kind of look at it as a start and I kind of just mentally prepare myself to be in at a certain point of the game but um, it doesn't really bother me. Just I just kind of take it as another outing. Yeah. Um, can you learn stuff as you're watching the starter, um, especially if you're following somebody like Sean, like another left-hander, is it, or or Brett? Can you sort of pick things up? Yeah, definitely. You know, you watch the game, you kind of study how hitters hit against them, and then uh, I kind of adjust my game plan going into that. So it's good that you know my last two times I've been able to come in after a lefty. Now, you've had an interesting journey as a family. I was lucky enough to talk to your dad, who's also Jesus, and um, he told me a little bit about how, for work reasons, you guys moved from Venezuela to Peru, which I think everyone knows that's where you were born. Do you have many memories at all of Peru? He said that the family, you guys really loved being there, but I'm guessing you were pretty small when he left, right? Yeah, I mean, I was probably a year old when we left, so I don't remember much at all. I don't remember anything, but I mean, I, we went back once when I was young. My sister had a swimming competition over there, um, and then I mean, it was nice. But I mainly remember going back to Venezuela a lot growing up. Yeah, you now you guys then moved to Florida for, again for your dad's work. Um, he was telling me that there is actually a pretty sizable Venezuelan community in South Florida, which I wasn't. You know, people think of Cuba and maybe Puerto Rico for South Florida. Um, tell me about being a uh, part of the Venezuelan community there, because I know that you're very proud of your heritage. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, there's a lot of Venezuelan uh, kind of influence down in South Florida nowadays, especially uh, in the more recent years. And it's just awesome to hang around, you know, kind of people that grow up with your culture and your values. Um, it's just a melting pot down there. And uh, I, I feel like it's a great place to live. And, I'm, you know, I love living down there. Do you have sort of a an extra like connection with some of the big league Venezuelans, and you know which of them were sort of the guys that you looked up to growing up? Uh, I mean, connection I wouldn't say too much, but I mean definitely I look up to them, and uh, you know Felix Hernandez, Altuve, um, even Odor, Andrews, guys that I grew up watching, and uh, you know have a lot of respect for. So it's kind of cool, you know, 
coming here and meeting them and even Petit. I mean, Petit, I grew up watching. Uh, he's from where my family's from, so he's kind of like a hometown hero. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Uh, you've been compared, I think, throughout, like even maybe even when you were before you got to professional baseball to Johan Santana. Has that, have you been hearing that your whole life? Is it body type? I mean, obviously left-handed, some of your stuff. Yeah, I mean, along with Felix Hernandez, it was basically Johan Santana was the other pitcher that I really kind of like modeled my game after. And I guess, you know, body type stuff, all that type is just, it kind of fits the mold. Um, but yeah, he was a great pitcher, had a great career, and someone that, you know, it's an honor to be even compared to. What kind of things did you pick up from him? Did you kind of watch him pitch and maybe try to to learn a th few things? Did you incorporate anything in particular? Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, kind of a guy who would really back down. He wasn't afraid to use his fastball, but he had a great changeup, and that's something that I kind of take pride in. When you were a young pitcher, did you always have such good movement on your pitches? Did it kind of come naturally to you, some of the stuff? Yeah, I'd say... Um, when I was young, I kind of focused on like you know changing speeds and movement because I never really threw hard until my senior year or junior senior year that I kind of got the velo. I grew a little bit, but uh, before that was really you know kind of pitchability, and that's what I think helped, has helped me throughout my career. Yeah, has that maybe kind of made you a little bit more advanced for your age because you do seem like you, you know, the sort of game within the game, the actual pitching and thinking ahead. It seems like you're somebody that has a real knack for that. I mean, I definitely picked up along the way and, you know, talking to a lot of the guys, especially last year in AAA, uh, I got hit around a little bit and then I picked some brains and that's, you know, every step along the way I've been helped and, you know, I appreciate everyone that's helped me to get to where I am. When did you start with a quick pitch? Because I know obviously that's something can, that could throw off a hitter's timing and, uh, you know, puts it in the back of your head, their head that, that you've got that. When did you start that? I started uh, messing around with it a little bit last year in Stockton, and then I kind of shut it down for a couple months and then brought it back at the end of the year. And then all this year I've been doing it, and it's, it's been, you know, working for the most part, and it's something that kind of helps me get in my rhythm. What sort of reactions have you gotten from hitters, when, especially when you very first started using it? Uh, a lot of guys don't like it. <laughs> a lot of guys kind of, you know, um, feel ambushed, I guess you could say. but. Uh, I mean, you know, any way to get a hitter out is, is what I'll do. So um, I, I, I like the reactions that I get from it sometimes. Have you, uh, Sean Murphy says you've actually sort of almost quick pitched him at times. Is it because you, you just do it on your own, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, especially with Murph, I don't really like let him know just because like I, he, he knows me and he kind of knows the, the situation. But sometimes it'll just pop out of nowhere and uh, I'll quick pitch him. Uh, it happened in Houston the other day. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's great with it, and he's been handling me real well. So, uh, I mean, all the catchers that I've thrown to have, have been really good with it. You are unique in that you that a couple of your pitches, you have different variations of them. In your mind, how many pitches would you say are in your arsenal when you consider that you have, like, you know, sort of two curveballs and et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I'd say... Um, Total with with everything, I have three, but within those three, I got about five or six. Whoa! So, um, I know you talk about your curveball. You've got the big breaking curveball, and there's a, another pitch that's a little slurvy. Do you consider that a curveball? Because I get asked about that one a lot. Yeah, I mean, I consider it the same pitch. When we call uh, it's the same pitch, but just sometimes depending on the situation, the scenario, what I need is kind of like I'll, I can manipulate the shape a little bit.
What about um, some of your other pitches? Like, what what would you say when you talk about your slider? How do you have variations of that? No, I just have. I actually just throw a curveball. So just it's a just, curveball. So it is that, and there is no slider. No slider. Man, even even your catchers sometimes call it a slider. Yeah, a lot of. Uh, even this year, last year, people will consider it a slider over a curveball, but I mean, I've always called it a curveball. It's just kind of the shape is a little off. The break that you get on your two seamer, the sinker, um, is pretty extraordinary. Sometimes you get that good side to side movement, and sometimes it just goes straight down. Has that always been a pitch that you've gotten a ton of movement with? Is it Was it kind of hard to learn how to use that when it breaks that much sometimes? Uh, well, this year I haven't really had a problem with that because in Vegas we didn't get any movement. So I was basically throwing all four seams. But um, when I got to uh, Houston, I realized that, you know, I kind of came back and started moving a little bit. So it's been a little bit of a challenge just to, you know, kind of uh, zone that in. But um, other than that, uh, I growing up and even last year, I was pretty good with it for the most part. I kind of knew where I was going. Was there anybody in particular, any coaches or any teammates who you feel like has been especially helpful to you, helping you either learn a particular pitch or hone something in particular? I mean, really all the coaches, the whole coaching staff, um, everywhere, every level I hit, you know, kind of give me their little their two cents. But um, Brian Corey, who's down in Arizona, he was my, you know, kind of like my guy. He was, uh, I threw with him in Vermont. He was my guy in Stockton. And then this year I was rehabbing and he was in Arizona. So he's been someone who's helped me a lot along the way and not only pitching, but mentally and, you know, as a, as a person. So he's taught me a lot and uh, I have a lot to be thankful for of him. Uh, that's terrific. Now you arrive with the A's during the pennant race. And how do you look at things now? Because you're here, you're not just a September call-up. You're a guy who's pitching during a really important part of the season as the team's trying to make it in. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to make any contribution I can. Um, you know, whatever situation they put me in, I want to perform and help the team win. At the end of the day, that's the goal. Um, sort of a fun one. Uh, Bo Taylor was telling me he feels like your glasses make you sort of super, like almost opposite Clark Kent Superman you put on your glasses and you become like Superman he says do you do you get that I mean you I know you've had them since you were about you know eight or nine your dad explained that um you were having problems seeing the ball in the outfield (laughs) but uh Bo says when you put them on you get really you know it's go time and you get serious and that's when you go do you kind of feel like that yeah I mean I I wouldn't say the the Superman reference like (laughs) Bo but um yeah I mean I'm, you know, always having fun and all that, but when I put my glasses on, it's kind of like, it gets serious, it's game day, and like, that's when I'm, I'm like, kind of like locked in. Um, so you, do you wear them at other times? Because I've never seen you wear glasses. No, I don't. I m- maybe wear glasses to watch TV at night sometimes back home, but really only when I'm pitching. Wow. Okay. Well, that's, that's very good to know. Um, we've gotten to learn a little bit more about Jesus Lizardo. Um, Jesus, good luck the rest of the way. Thanks for joining us on A's Plus. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Jesus Luzardo for joining us on A's Plus. We will be back in one moment with David Feldman and Feldy's Follies. Time for Feldy's Follies on A's Plus. David Feldman, official scorer and stats expert slash guru, whatever we're calling you, wizard? I don't know, something. David Feldman joins us for his semi-regular appearance. David, the A's coming off a tremendous road trip. Start in Houston going losing 15 and 0 and then they win all the rest at Houston three the next three games against the division's top team maybe the league's top team 
and then win all three at Texas, come back, um, played a couple games against the Royals, lost one, which they probably shouldn't have, won one. What, where to you, in your mind, are the A's right now as they're kind of barreling toward potentially the postseason? Oh, I think they're right where they want to be. And they've put themselves in this position by, you know, taking six out of eight from the Astros, which is the way they started the season playing against them, losing eight out of nine, and just getting hammered night after night to come back and win these games. And I thought the whole road trip changed on one play. And that was in the Wednesday night game. They're already trailing. They're down two to one. The Astros are rallying. And Ramon Laureano throws out Altuve at the plate. I thought that changed everything. One, it helped Brett Anderson get out of the inning. And then, boom, Astros go to the bullpen. Powerball starts for the A's, and the A's win the game. They fight unbelievably hard to win the last game in that series. Stressful, postseason-like feel, having to get big outs. Um, And they went into Texas and took care of business against a team that they should beat. And they did it by scoring and scoring and scoring some more. I thought that that Loreano play just changed the whole tone of everything that was going to happen that week. And it's the A's are taking care of business. And as we've talked about before, it's getting to 97 wins. And there's 10 games left as we get ready to play the Royals in this day game. And the A's only need to go 6-4 and four to get to 97 wins. It's pretty extraordinary. And with the teams that they're playing, it would be shocking for them. It would be, it would be a massive... And I hate to say it, choke job if they did not get to that right. with the teams they're playing and the way they're playing as a team. Well, as we're talking now, their magic number is nine. Six wins, you know, gets that down to three. You only need three losses from the Indians. So that uh, it seems to the ma- your math, I think, checks out, David. The Fulman. math checks out. And it's interesting to watch now with Tampa Bay and Cleveland what's going on. Cleveland is playing Detroit, who they're only 16-1 and one against this year with <laughs> two more games to go. Uh, but then their schedule gets a little bit tougher. Um, Tampa Bay, they, they end the series with the Dodgers. They still have a couple games with the Yankees. Um, there are some losses to be had for the Rays and for the Indians. The A's just need to take care of their own business. I think they're going to be fine. They've got Texas. They've got Anaheim now without Mike Trout. Without Mike Trout. And they've got Seattle. And Seattle, for some weird reason, has given the A's trouble this they year. They have. Like Toronto, where you go, like, what? why? What but, happened there? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, they, they've got to feel like they're in pretty good shape. Um, you mentioned that Sunday game. We got to see some of the more some more of the piggybacking. What have you made of the p- new piggybacking thing? Is this the new opener? Yeah, I think, and you wrote something like that earlier, yeah. and, and it's true. This is kind of how the A's are approaching it. They're saying to their starting pitcher in that day, give us five, keep us in the game, and then we're going to go to Puck, or we're going to go to Lizardo, and they're going to go us the rest of the way or get us to the ninth inning. Um, and so far, it's worked. Um, I know that Brett Anderson has been frustrated by it, but at the end of the day, when the A's get a win, that's a pretty good strategy. Absolutely. Um, and you don't want Brett Anderson going through a lineup a third time. That's a recipe for disaster. Uh, bring in one of these young guys who is just, they're dealing so far. And so far, it's worked because they have done the job. And I think last night, uh, watching Puck throw, so different than when he came in against the Yankees in a pressure situation. Here he is starting an inning, knowing that he was going to pitch. Knowing what inning? Knowing what inning, already prepared mentally. And his first at bat's an 11 pitch at bat, but he got to just air out his fastball. It was 3 2, 3 2, fouling off, fouling, but he's just fastball. And then you could just see after that at bat, now he's throwing his changeup a little bit, he's throwing his slider, and everything is in control and command. I know. Recently, Lizardo has gotten all the pub and, and well-deserved. 
But don't forget about AJ Puck. Yeah. That was fantastic last night. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's, it does so many things. I, I really like it. Um, the A's biggest problem all year has been middle relief. They've lost so many of their games essentially in the seventh inning. Yeah. I mean, that's really been the case. Sixth, seventh, sometimes eighth inning. Um, so that, if you've got a guy that can come in throw two or three innings, Lazardo's gone three twice. Puck's kind of keeps going two. Probably could go a little more depending on his pitch count. Um, you could also do this with, say, Yusmero Petit. There are a few guys that you could do this with. I don't know if they would trust Mingdon or Blackburn at this point. But, um, you know, maybe something in the final week if they've clinched a spot that they could consider. But you're right. This is, first of all, these guys who are young have done this piggyback thing in the minor leagues. Yes. CAs have gone to piggyback system in the minors a few years ago. So they're familiar with it. Uh, and these are creatures of habit you know they know what day am i going to pitch when am i coming in when do i start warming up and you're not taking the starter out of his routine which is what the opener did uh and we've talked about this before that one of the problems with the opener was that the guy whose opening comes in and just doesn't have it you might that might be the game for you exactly. we saw that in the wild card game uh, to to some extent uh, and this way, you've got a starter who knows when he's, you know, he's got his regular start. He starts, goes, does his thing, and then another guy comes in. He's prepared. He's ready to go. It's, uh, you know, it's not going to work every time. I'm no. not saying that this is, they're unbeatable when they use a, <laughs> the piggyback thing. But I like it so much more than the starter, than the opener for, for that reason. Well, that's exactly the opener. If the opener gave up runs, you already felt like you lost. Right. Game was, the game was over. You just had this bad feeling. But now you're going with your starting pitcher, who's still going to go at least five. Um, so you can handle giving up a run or two in the first inning. You don't feel like the game's over. Right. Um, and you know what? He knows. I know people don't don't put any stock in the win anymore. But he knows, okay, if we've got the lead, I still could get that win. Pitchers still they care. Do. They do. Front offices do not care. But pitchers, you're like, okay, well, the opener is that, you know, I'm going to get screwed out of my W. Right. Nope, not, not now. And the... The thing with the opener, a lot of times the follower, just like some of those guys could not get accustomed to that role. Mingdon was the only one that kind of figured it out uh, towards the end of the year last year, but almost everybody looked really uncomfortable at least the first few times. This right. this is just much more streamlined, uh, and so far, I love it. Yeah, I mean, knowing their roles, right? Yeah. Knowing the starters in his same routine, knowing that he's going to get a chance to pitch, and the guy who's coming in next... He also knows his role. He knows his inning. He knows how to prepare. Nothing's shocking. Um, you know, the thing with Migden, how good he was in that role last year, he was never going to be in that role in a big game because you're never going to pitch Migden in a big game. Right. And even, you know, you look back on the wild card. Which is kind of weird because he'd done pretty well. And then you go, well. you go wild card, use an opener, and you think, like, who's the one guy that's been able to handle that follower role? It's Migden, but you're not going to use him. You're yet. not going to use him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Trevino was great in New York last year coming in and picking up three innings. Uh, but you don't want that. No, and now, now. Not now. <laughs> not now at all. But now you have guys starting pitchers in that second pitcher role who it. can give you extended innings. And I, I do too. I think it's something they're going to – it also takes some pressure off your starting pitcher. Oh. Right? Because you know if you're Tanner Roark, right, who has always been a high pitch guy, low inning guy, but he knows just get me through five. Get me through five. Use my best stuff. My best stuff. I'm you don't have that. Out. I have to like save this one pitch for later just right. in case. I can, you know, I don't have one pitch early on. I, maybe I, I can't use the secondary stuff right away, but yeah, this takes away all of that. I just love it. And the what it takes off the bullpen. Yeah. You're resting guys. 
you know, if Lizardo comes in and throws three, you might not even have to use your closer. Right. It's just, uh, I think this is this works out great, and I could, I think the A's are going to be trends, trendsetters with this. Uh, I think it's it's this could be the way of the future. From a roster perspective, it's also a little easier to do. That was one of the issues with the opener is you just during the you can do it in September because yeah. you got a bunch of other guys. Next year, maybe not quite as much when they've got the new rules. But this way you got a couple starters who are finishing up and eating up a bunch of innings. You don't necessarily have to do a lot of roster manipulation to be able to do that. Yeah, and next year with the three batter minimum rule probably coming into play, you want pitchers who can go, obviously, m- one inning, but hopefully multi-innings. Because, again, you're not going to be able to use guys like you guys now for one batter appearances. It's all going to change. The strategy changes. The A's might be setting themselves up for, for very, very high success with this with this format. Yeah, I think the A's are setting themselves up for very high success, period, here in the next few years. Now that we're getting a look at Sean Murphy, mm. Seth Brown, who comes yeah. out of nowhere. We have talked about him a little bit before, but, my gosh, nobody saw that coming and um he's turned into they we were promised <laughs> brandon moss 2.0 and instead we're getting jed lowry, jed lowry. 2.0 which I, I think everybody will take that's yeah. also also pretty good uh and obviously puck and lizardo and uh sheldon noisy has looked you know good, good at times yeah. so yeah he has good at bats so these are it's sort of the next wave we had the chapman pinder olsen trio uh and then this is the next wave and the a's really you know you talk to scouts and they say wow this team is set up for a long time what they need to do now is wrap up marcus simeon to a deal because then you've got a core that is here and a lot of them local mark canna what what has mark canna been doing my goodness he plays it very well in center field allows you to put ramon Laureano in right where i actually like him i do too uh, and he's just been going off of it. He's the cleanup hitter. No, it's amazing. How you know, did this happen? Steve Fiziok, the Royals announcer, just came up to me and said, Mark Canna, how? And I said, that is a great question. Yeah. Um, here's a guy, and I will admit, I thought if he was to play every day that they would find the holes in his swing and he would struggle. And the exact opposite has happened. Yeah. He battles every at-bat. He, uh, he's giving you clutch hits. His defensive center has been above average, and he has moved Loriano to right. And Fizz also asked me, well, will Loriano move back to center for the playoffs? I said, I don't think so. No, this is the plan, especially with Piscotti hurt and probably becoming ever more of a, of a long shot for a roster spot, for re- partly for reasons we've talked about before. Right. You cannot hide an in, a injured guy once he's healthy. You're, no. not, you're, that, you're setting yourself up for a grievance. Potentially, if that, if that day were to come, the ace might say, like, <laughs> hey, you know what? take the grievance we need jesus lizardo but um <laughs> it does seem like piscotti's had a little bit of a setback last week um we talked about the fact the a's need his his uh, injured list spot to get jesus lizardo onto a playoff roster uh but he is not going to be ready I, I think that's pretty safe to say with a week and a half left here um he's not good enough to get out on the field and play and he's going to need to get at bats etc so no so Loriano um, stays in right so he stays in right and I'm with you I think he's more of a weapon his arm plays as more of a weapon in right field than it does in center yeah. and we know that he had trouble tracking the ball in center all year not right. just the ball he dropped here on Monday, again, yeah. but we've seen it countless times he looks more comfortable he in looks right. so much more comfortable he's yeah. tracking the ball with ease in right field and that arm it just plays it plays as a corner arm remember how good Dwight Evans was as a right fielder or Tony Armas Roberto Clemente that's why these guys were corner outfielders because our arms played there oh and we've gosh. seen it already yeah that Monday game they had the Royals have two shots medium fly balls medium to deep fly yeah. balls and Mondesi basically just stayed at third going like yeah no I'm not no. gonna I'm good here no and that second one 
with making it the second out, you have to send the runner. You have you to. You have to. And nope. here's the fastest player on the Royals saying, nope, I'm good. Nope, I'm good. And Loriano threw a strike. He did. Home. Right Just strike. Unbelievable. So, so it's I, so fast. So I like it. You I you too. mentioned Marcus Simeon. And now in this last couple of weeks, how much his stock has rised around the league. Um, and you look at the war leaders, and you mm-hmm. have Mike Trout, Alex Bregman, Marcus Simeon. That's correct. He is third in war. Now, you, as an MVP voter, that's got to play into what you're thinking as far as MVP goes. Absolutely. And I've always been, you know, we've talked about this a lot, and I argue with people about this all the time. I remember when Brandon McCarthy was with the team, and he is very much an advanced metrics guy. Uh, and I'm a little bit more, you know, what does it mean, MVP? Is Are you the most valuable player because of your stats? Well, why don't we just hand it to the war winner every year? Did you lead the league in war? There's your trophy. <laughs> there you um, no, it's value goes beyond that to me. And to me, value means you're helping your team get to the ultimate goal, which is getting into the playoffs. And I particularly take September into account. Now, if somebody has an extraordinary year, as Trout has done, um, and it's not even close to anybody else, I'm probably going to vote for, for that guy. Sure. Um, the Trout Cabrera triple crown year, I voted for Cabrera against Brandon McCarthy's very strenuous <laughs> arguments. Um, because, you know, look at what the Tigers did and the Angels were, you know, not a factor. Right. And Trout didn't do very much in that September. Uh, now he's hurt. I don't know if that changes the dynamic of the MVP race. Alex Bregman look what that team has done. You could certainly argue like, oh, well, of course, look at all the guys around him. But you can always say that for almost right. every MVP And candidate. all the guys around him got hurt at some point or another right. during this year where he, he was there every day. Yeah, and he's a staggering good player. But Marcus Simeon, if people are looking at it as a two-man race, they need to start at least throwing Simeon in there because it's those three and then kind of a drop-off. And the two from teams that are doing something are Bregman and Simeon. Right. Uh, and we know Marcus's story and how extraordinary it is. He's local, and you know he's, he turned himself into this this player who's third in the league in WAR. He did it it's himself. A, unreal. It is unreal. You know, and, you, 2015 when we first saw him, we thought, okay, this isn't going to work. Oh, he's not going to stay at short. Was our first thought. Yeah. Where and do then, you put him? Where do you put is him? he a utility guy? Maybe. And he's probably they'll probably get rid of him at right. some point. And now he's. He's the guy. Yeah. And it's just the all-around game. I know that the Mike Selleck stat that he put out, which, you know, created statistics. It's fine. But when you're – Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig are your two guys who've done it. Right. Well, you got to stop and think about it. Right. Um, and it's a ton of, you ton know – ton of numbers. <laughs> yeah, it was like homers, RBIs, like all the, all the good stuff Steals, that you look at. triples. Still. Yeah. Everything's in there. And just that's a good season, even if it's a juice ball, which you could say. It is. But you could say that for anybody in exactly. baseball right now. And he plays every day. If things continue to go well for the A's, he's going to set the Oakland record for runs scored. We never thought of him as a leadoff hitter, yeah. right? This was a guy with 27 homers in 2016. Okay, he'll yeah. maybe be a middle of the order to down in the lineup. Not a leadoff guy, but he's hitting 280. Uh, it's just incredible. And you talk about, I'm with you with MVP years. If somebody's having a fantastic year, that's going to trump everything. Right. And, and Trout's done that. Yeah. But when I hear people talk about DJ LeMahieu as an MVP candidate and not Marcus Simeon, you're not paying attention. Absolutely. That's a very good point. Now, um, it's really fun to have a Feldy's Follies where we're not kind of picking apart anything (laughs) negative. And I'm trying to sitting here thinking, like, are there any issues we need to talk about? There is. Okay. There is. It's Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman has stopped hitting. And over the last 13 games, he's hitting under 110. Now... Three of his last five hits have been home runs, and that's been great. But it's five hits in 13 games, and it's strikeouts, and it's not chasing. It's, he is swinging through fastballs in the strike zone. 
that is worrisome. I don't know what's happening. Because usually when a guy gets into a slump, you see him chase and swing at bad balls. Chapman's not swinging at bad balls. He's missing strikes down the middle. Monday night, ninth inning, right down the middle, and they're going right after him because he can't catch up. I, that's got me a little concerned. I don't know what's happening with Matt Chapman. Well, I talked to him on the road trip about it because he was in the midst of a really bad funk at that point, you know, and he wound up getting a day off, which I think was much needed. Uh, and I said, you know, it's obviously got beaned last month. And I said, is that any possibility that that's played a factor? Is You know, is your eyesight okay? Mm-hmm. And, um, and he said, no, he's fine. He doesn't see any differences. He's just not hitting. It's obviously frustrating for him. And we've talked so much about Chris Davis this year and when a hitter gets into a slump you start trying too hard you start listening to everybody you start trying to do too many things make too many changes some of that could be happening especially with the position that the A's are in you know you're trying to take so much on your own shoulders I think there can be a spiral but I'm with you he is not he's not hitting pitches that we usually see him hit and that yeah that is that is alarming it's not hurting him right now no no because Um, the other guys around him are working are picking up that slack but as you go in this last week, especially going where the A's want to go, you want hot hitters going into October, right. and you like to get him going. And it could. It could be go, we've seen it before, he had that bad slump, he shaved his head, he gets red hot, and he starts hitting the ball again. Are you saying he needs to shave his head again? I mean, you got to try something. It's just odd to see a guy miss pitches in the strike zone like he's no missing. Cattail, um, oh, my God. Beard, that, you know, <laughs> you never want anyone to get hurt. But you're going, yeah. No, you never want anybody to get hurt. That was bad. But that was a that was a terrible. Mike Fire's beard really was truly That's terrible. Really at Texas, bad. Anything so. to get him off the mound was was a you know that he's fine. Feldy. He's fine. <laughs> he is fine. But that that was a bad move. Yeah. So shave his head. I mean, maybe give him another day. Um, Bob Belvin had said that's his last day off of the year. But I, you know, the A's do have two days they off do. coming up, which that's nice before the end of the season. Um, but yeah, I, it seems like, and he came back after the last one, hits a home run in a big situation. But yeah, they, they, you're right, they need to get him going. It's just, it's just like I said, it's concerning because he's not doing anything wrong. He's just missing pitches. Chris Davis, on the other hand, feels like he's found something. Um, you know, he hit two homers in a game at Texas. Yeah. First time he'd hit two in a, in a game since May. Uh, and I think he's feeling better. He says, he, you know, it's a rotational thing. You know, needs to get his shoulders going better. Um, so that's good. He has not hit a ton of homers since then. No. But I think he's feeling better and more confident. And confidence is so, so much a factor. So I think that's a plus. So um, I guess we're going to have to check in with you next week and see. I, I think we'll have to have a special edition if and when the A's hit 97 wins. 97. It will be the... Feldy Folly 97 wins special. Balloons, the whole thing. <laughs> and you know who's going to get into 97 wins? It's going to be Frankie Montas. You think so? Wouldn't that be unbelievable? It would be pretty In the last week of the season, that Frankie Montas comes back and becomes a factor. Do you start him or do you have him piggyback? You know, you have to he see where he is. could piggyback maybe twice. He could piggyback twice. I, and I also think this. If somehow there's a game 163... I think Frankie Montas is starting game 163. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, Although he hasn't seen action for a while. He hasn't. You, he's got to, you have to see him on the mound. You're going to see him on the mound next week, right. I, I presume. Yeah. Um, and if he looks good and if he looks like he's competitive out there, yeah. I think 163 is. Because we haven't talked on it yet, but if the A's do get to the wild card, right now, the way he's performed on the mound, Sean Manaya has got to be your leading candidate to be yeah, the starter I've, I've in that got, game. I got to think so. I, you know, I feel bad for Mike Fires because he was not happy last year about not 
You know, he was actually, to be fair, he said he or Edwin Jackson right. should have been one of the guys that started that wild card game. But you pass him up for that one, and then he puts together such a tremendous season. And, you know, he has a little injury. He gets blown out one week, has a little injury. It seems like that's just such a <laughs> so, so late and so small to, like, cost him a wild card st- spot. But with Manaya pitching like this and Lizardo ready to come in after him, I've got to think that, yeah, I don't worry about his hurt feelings. Just go like, hey, they'll get us into the right. playoffs, and then you get game one. Yeah. So I think that maybe that's how you handle it. I that think that situation. is definitely the You're starting game one in the ALDS. Also, please don't pop off about the fact that you're not starting the wild card game, please. <laughs> please. Be a good soldier, shave your face, and everything's good. <laughs> well, I think that's a good way for us to leave that <laughs> message for everyone. David Feldman, thanks as always for joining us on Feldy's Follies. Thanks, Susan. Thanks again to David Feldman for appearing with us on Feldy's Follies on Ace Plus. Our producers today were King Kaufman and G. Allen Johnson. We will be back again next week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Susan Slusser, or you can email me at sluser at sfchronicle.com. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.